Welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And now it is my pleasure to welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast CBS Sports Oh. Man, that feels good to feels good to say. Danny Canell. Danny, how you doing, man? I am fantastic, fellas, man. I'm pumped to be on your guys' show. I'm a big fan of your podcast, your guys' work, and uh, I get to be in sunny South Florida for a change, which I've been living in Connecticut for a while, <laughs> so I am loving being back in my old stomping grounds. It's where I grew up. And uh, it's good to be a part of the CBS Sports family for sure. Yeah, you've already uh, you already got put to work uh, with the, you know, you had to do the the SEC live show on the road, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. figure figure the out hurricane ways. hiccup. <laughs> yeah, are you are you all relocated? Is is everything? Uh, are are you starting to get everything adjusted? How have, how's this first uh, first couple weeks been? Well, it's funny because I was supposed to move down here about two weeks ago, and the Saturday where I was actually going to move was the weekend that the hurricane hit. So that kind of put that on the back burner. And then what was crazy is I was still living in Connecticut, and they relocated the studio to right down the street in Sanford, Connecticut. So it was actually kind of a blessing in disguise for me because I was able to stay with my family. My kids are still in school uh, but then I got down here, and my wife is actually, as we speak, she is driving down with my three girls. I got, I kind of, I got out of that one, which was kind of a nice thing because <laughs> right. she's in the car for about twenty hours with our ten, eight, and five-year-old Ugh. girls. <laughs> so I was like, babe, I got to work, you know, like I, I got stuff I got to do. So I got out of that one. <laughs> so we can we can prove to your wife that you're down here working by recording a little podcast segment. Uh, That's right. So we'll take care of you there. Let, let's get rolling, man. Like, what's I, one thing I just noticed is looking at your your top eight, which I love looking at every week. Um, is is there's a conspicuous SEC team missing? <laughs> is the University of Georgia? You're not a believer yet. What what's uh, what's your take on Georgia? What do they need to do to get in there? All right, so I am a believer in Georgia. The problem was I was a bigger believer in Virginia Tech last week, and so I had Virginia Tech at, at eight last week, and it, yeah. I would have put Georgia in that eight spot. I like them. I had them preseason. I picked them to, to win the East. I've been really impressed with their development, and I think they've got a quarterback. I don't think they have a controversy. I think they have a new quarterback on their hands in Jake Fromm. From everything I had heard about him in this offseason – uh, in the summer camps, when he's out there taking over drills, I just I think he's the guy, and I think Kirby Smart would be foolish to mess with the chemistry that he has going on right now, and he's really proven to just take the reins of this and hasn't looked back. And I know it's going to be really a tough situation for Jacob Eason, but you got to do what's best for the team, and I think that's where Kirby Smart has to look at this and say, all right, we have a quarterback who's a competitor, he's fiery, and most importantly, the players follow him. You just see yeah. it. And I think that's why he's got to stick with Jake Fromm. Is there anybody else in that SEC East that can pose a threat to the Bulldogs right now? Yeah, I think we've been fooled before in this division. Like, I mean, just pick whatever year it was in the last four or five years, and you're like, hey, Florida, they look like they have a quarterback in Will Greer, and they look like they could take the reins. Then he gets kicked out, and they're kind of not very impressive. Uh, Tennessee, we've been fooled by them before. I don't think they're a challenger. Kentucky, maybe on the back burner, but I just think it's kind of – you're starting to see Georgia as the lead dog in that race. They're starting to pull away from the pack. And it's with the defensive side of the ball, 
it was one of the reasons I picked them was you just kind of trusted Kirby Smart. And the way you're seeing this team develop, you can see the Nick Saban blueprint in action right now because the defense is playing great. Even with Jake Fromm, as much as I like the way he's playing, they're not asking him to do a ton. They've got two great running backs in the backfield, so they have some depth there. And they're just going to pound it. And they're not going to need a whole lot um, offensively, especially within the East. I mean, tell me what, what, what offense in the East scares you. And you just can't uh, find it. So that's, that's yeah. I, I really do feel like they're the team uh, that's going to emerge out of that division. Let's get into the Knowles, your, your boys. We have I to. Mean, <laughs> yeah, we got to. You got to shed some light on this this stuff now. Like, so I guess what, what you know. What went wrong? <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chip and I were talking before you jumped on. Like, it's it's interesting to look at like the the fan base and the message boards following that Whoa. loss like it, it's there are a lot less tricky yet have we fired I mean, him yet exactly <laughs> like he's getting the heat like the whole staff is though i mean the, charles kelly's sort of getting the heat restless with that staff and um i guess what's the state right now the program do you think this is a team that can get it figured out and and maybe maybe beat clemson later in the year maybe maybe go on a run and finish 10 to 2 or, or 9 to 2 i guess well, that's the sad part, Barton, is that that's kind of what you're playing for now. It's just yeah. to beat Clemson, maybe get a chance in the ACC title game because the playoff hopes really look dashed. I do – I have a feeling – I don't I've, – I've been saying this uh, since the preseason. I think we'll see a two-team uh, – two-loss team in the playoff. And if you're Jimbo Fisher, maybe you're trying to sell your team on that. But it's going to be an uphill battle. So a little insider intel for you guys on my show that I do on SiriusXM – we have a weekly spot with Jimbo Fisher on Thursdays, mm-hmm. and I was rooting for Florida State so bad in that game, not because I went there, not because I had picked them to win the ACC. It was because of the weekly interview with Jimbo Fisher, which is going to suck now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just like, I hate, like, and as a player, when I was a player, like, anytime the season went off the rails or things that you didn't live up to expectations, it just makes dealing with the media that much worse. And so now we have got a weekly hit with Jimbo and every week it's going to be like, how are you keeping your players involved? So that should be a ton of fun. But when you look at the team specifically, I think there's a couple things. I mean, obviously you lose your starting quarterback. There's going to be issues. And when DeAndre Francois was out, I I think that was a really a tough blow, especially with the lack of depth uh, at the quarterback position, which is a little bit surprising considering what program you are at Florida State, but J.J. Cosentino loses out to the job to James Blackman, who's very green. You've were seen you the surprised first... to see that? Were you, I mean, just, I'll let, I mean, not to interrupt you, but were you surprised oh, no. to see the true freshman take the spot from the upperclassmen? I was, but I think it does show that Jimbo really does like James Blackman. Um, and I think you are. It's, it's one of the, and trust me, in the NFL, I was told this a lot. I was like, hey, thanks, Danny, but we know exactly what you are. Right. <laughs> We're going to try this other guy to see what he's made of. And I feel like that's what Jimbo probably did um, with the veteran. He's like, hey, you know, we know we need you if it's a really dire situation. But maybe there's – and there definitely is. I don't think it's a maybe. There's more upside with James Blackman. So I actually commend Jimbo for sticking with him and going with him. And now you're kind of stuck with him, which I think is okay. Like I like what I've seen with him, but – I mean, to ask a true freshman, I think you see a lot of success with redshirt freshmen or guys that get in early, but to ask a true freshman to go out there and try to contend for a playoff spot, it's just a really a lot to ask. And then, so I think Jimbo gets a little bit stuck sometimes. I think he forgets who he's coaching and, and specifically with his play calling. And you saw it early in the game against NC State, like they came out firing, like he's throwing balls down the field. It wasn't a hitch route or a screen route. 
started off a little bit slow, and then he settled into the game. But I think you have to rely more on the run game. and I, I, that, So that's one issue is the quarterback problem. The offensive line, so this one's tough for me because I do feel like Rick Trickett, I mean, he's got a resume, he's been around, he's well-regarded as an outstanding offensive line coach, but, and there's a big but, DeAndre Francois got killed last year. You're taking a lot of hits. The offensive line has continued to struggle in this season. I would say this because I, you know, a lot of Florida State fans have reached out to me and said, hey, is it time to fire Rick Trickett? We need to get rid of him. We need to make a change. The two defenses that Florida State has faced in Alabama and NC State are probably outside of Clemson. Those are the two best you're going to face all season long. So let's see how they do against Miami, who's not quite as good, but it'll be a really good test. Let's see how they do against that defense. Let's see how they do against Wake Forest. Shoot, we better not look, overlook Wake Forest when we're talking about Florida State. Um, let's see how they develop. I think it's still too early to go out there and just start chopping heads off, and I don't think Jimbo would do that. And it's just, it's. I have a feeling it's going to be a long year for Florida State because they've been thinking playoffs, they've been thinking ACC championship, and it's really, really hard to get guys after just two games to say, man, we have you know nine, ten games to go. Let's stay after it. And that's probably going to be one of Jimbo's uh, biggest challenges he's faced in his career to date. But what about the defensive side of the ball? I mean, that group is yeah. loaded <laughs> with studs, and they looked a step slow. And NC State's got playmakers. Jalen Samuels is uh, you know, very, very athletically gifted, and he's been a huge focal point of the Wolfpack's offense for a while. Ryan Finley's you know, got some experience, especially with that offensive coordinator coming from Boise State. But I, I was shocked at how they just seemed a step behind the Wolfpack for most of the game there. Yeah, I was too. And that was after the Alabama game because Florida State looked outstanding against Alabama defensively. I mean, they really did a great job. Here's the problem I see <clears throat> Excuse me, with, with Florida State's defense. We saw this happen last year where they're just susceptible to big plays. Remember Mitch Trubisky goes into Tallahassee and he had like five or six plays of 20 yards or more. They were gashing this Florida State defense. And I do feel like Charles Kelly, a little bit of this does fall on his shoulders because I think he does try to do a lot schematically. And sometimes I feel like it overwhelms this defense and they get guys kind of out of sorts, they're out of position, and you find yourself susceptible to big plays against better quarterbacks with more dynamic passing games. That's why I think Florida State was really successful against Alabama because mm. Florida State matches up really well with that offense. They're going to get up there. They're just as big. They're just as physical. They can go toe-to-toe. They can stop the run. You know, they're built to stop that type of offense. I don't know how they're built to stop the more dynamic offenses with quarterbacks that are more equipped to challenge you and stretch the field vertically. But there is too much talent on this team not to be forcing turnovers, not to be forcing more three and outs. So, it's again, it just kind of goes back to why I think this is going to be a long year for Florida State. But they have to get it figured out, and they have to get it figured out soon. Oh, man. best of We're recording this on Wednesday morning. Best of luck with your Thursday uh, hit this week with Jimbo. You're just, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. Uh, and let's keep, it, let's keep it in the ACC. What's your read on Clemson-Virginia Tech? Huge game. Saturday night. Unbelievable atmosphere. Like Arguably, maybe one of the toughest games or one of the toughest challenges when you take the atmosphere uh, into consideration uh, for this Clemson team in their pursuit of returning to the college football playoff. So this, to me, is your preview of the ACC championship game. I just I look at the way things are falling into place. I think Clemson is charting its show with Kelly Bryant. Those questions about him were really pretty much put to ease. I know they struggled against BC, but that's a, a sluggish, kind of ugly game. And BC is kind of always one of those tough outs. If you overlook them, they're going to be tough. 
Um, and Virginia Tech, to me, is really the pleasant surprise of the season. And I know it's not exactly like they came out of nowhere because people thought, hey, you know, Justin Fuente, year two, they're going to figure some things out, and they, and they have. But Josh Jackson, to me, is a playmaker at the position. And I still, the, the way that the, the division lines up, you know, is Duke going to be able to challenge? They're sitting at 4-0, which is a great story, but they just don't have the talent to match up with Virginia Tech. Miami, I still have my doubts about Miami, where they are. We've only seen two games, and in those two games, the score might have been where you look and say like they're doing okay, but if you watch those games closely, a little bit sluggish early. I still don't know about their development of the quarterback. So it really does look to me like this is going to be a rematch of the ACC championship game. And I think... You just it's the way it's going to shake out. And I'm with you, but I think the good news, if you're a Clemson fan, if you lose on the road in Blacksburg, which is, I, I'm with you 100%. It's one of the tougher places to play. And they're going, that place is going to be lit um, with game day going to be there and enter Sandman. I mean, just the, the whole combination of it. It's gonna, we're going to find out a lot more about Kelly Bryant. Like I, I've liked what I've seen from him. But Louisville's defense isn't anywhere near the uh, um, the challenge that he's going to have uh, face facing Bud Foster's squad because you know he's going to have a game plan for him. So I, to me, that's going to be the storyline as these two young quarterbacks, which one outplays the other. And this is the same offense at Clemson. I think you know, I mean, I, I, they kept it close to the vest, but they only scored 14 points against Auburn. So it, you know, it'll be interesting to see if 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 Virginia Tech can hold them at bay offensively. Uh, what happened? And that was at home. That was at home. Yeah. Imagine yeah. playing on the road where you know those defensive linemen are going to be able to pin their ears back. They're not going to have any worries. It's going to be tough with crowd noise. It's going to be tough getting the snap. It's going to be tough making adjustments at the line of scrimmage. So I'm with you. It's it's going to be a lot. It's going to be a bigger challenge. I will say this: Auburn's kind of a sneaky team that I look at. And I, now, granted, I might be biased because I'm kind of stubborn. I did pick them to win the SEC West, which looks really foolish and you look really stupid. I don't like to go chalk all the time. So I, and I thought the Jared Stidham um, experiment would go off a lot more smashingly than it has so far, to <laughs> say the least. But Auburn's defense is really tough. And if they get things, and I know Missouri is just a joke right now, and they look better against Missouri, but if Jared Stidham can get things going, their style of play could present some problems. So that's just a side note on Auburn. Um, but yeah, I think Clemson's offense, this will be by far the biggest challenge they've faced since Auburn. Well, and I, I'm I'm also I'm kind of with you on Auburn too, Danny. Because I, I, if you look at Auburn, a their defense is just sort of the 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 standard. I mean, they're the the constant rather. And offensively, once Carryon Johnson's in there, and and they start getting Cam Martin the ball, and they start to just get adjusted to Jarrett Stidham style of play, like they're going to continue to get better. And I think it, it's it's not insignificant that they put up 50 or whatever on Missouri because they they just looked more athletic doing it with Carryon Johnson in. Yeah, that's that's the good news. And I think that was a huge confidence builder for Auburn. And sometimes that's a lot of what it is. I mean, you go out there and you're struggling and you can't buy a first down. And, you know, when you go up tempo, if you don't get first downs, it's just really hard to find a rhythm. A lot of it is rhythm based in that system. And once they can go out there, if they can gain some confidence and get a belief in them. And I think that's one of the games. It's kind of a sneaky game out there on the radar uh, with them in Mississippi State. Because that'll be a good test for them. And we saw Georgia's ability to move the ball offensively against Mississippi State. And Auburn, if they can do it against that squad, then they start carrying some momentum in games which look really winnable for them. Mississippi State, Ole Miss, LSU, which, you know, who would have ever thought you would have said that at the beginning of the season, going to Baton Rouge, but it does look like it should be easier. At Arkansas, 
Then Texas A&M. Again, Texas A&M is another team that I would kind of be looking out for in the SEC West because you know the talent is there. And as Kevin Sumlin figures out Kellen Mond and how to call plays for him, they've got the physically the skill set to hang with anybody. It's just a matter of if they can put it together. So I would those those Auburn and Texas A&M to me are kind of teams to watch out for that everybody's written off and kind of just written in Sharpie. Alabama's going to win the West. Where if I was picking, yeah, I would probably write in Sharpie, but maybe like the skinny one, so you could maybe <laughs> outline it over somebody else. It sure looks like they're the favorite, but. Auburn and Texas A&M are two teams in the West that I would just kind of just kind of put a little check mark and say let's watch their development. All right, out West there is one of the low key best games of the weekend Friday night when uh, Washington State hosts USC. You still got USC up at four in your rankings. Um, you know I know they've been a little banged up lately, but are you do you feel like they're going to take care of business this weekend? Are you still a believer despite kind of some of their lackluster performances so far that they've got you know playoff ability Pac-12 championship ability what's your take on that game I am nervous about USC I have them at four and I was really like yeah I don't love this but um so when I look at them I feel like this is a team that we've seen this story before and whether it was Florida State with Jameis Winston whether it was Ohio State the year after they won the national championship when you see a team they have all this talent and they go out there and they kind of play down to the level of competition and yet they still win games. And more specifically, you see a quarterback. And this is kind of the correlation I see with Florida State when they had Jameis Winston. Jameis was going to be the number one overall pick in the draft no matter what people said about you know off the field stuff. He was that guy, which I still feel like Sam Darnold is that guy. Um, but he was making a lot of bad throws. And I feel like that's what's going on with Sam Darnold. And I love him. I love what he brings to the table. But at some point, you have to look at nine touchdowns, seven interceptions and say, hmm, something's not right with this picture. And I go back and watch him, and it's a couple things. One is bad decisions, but also he kind of floats the ball sometimes. He's overthrown some receivers. The accuracy is a little bit of an issue. But then he comes down the stretch, and he makes these unbelievable throws against Texas. And it's like, oh, that's why we love that guy. That's why he, the, the scouts are loving him, just like we saw with Jameis Winston. So you have all these game-winning situations that he's in. But in large part, some of, the, some of the time, it's because of the mistakes he made. And I just worry that one of these days, it's going to catch up with USC. You know, it, it's not going to happen against Western Michigan, even Cal, because you just have so much better talent. And Washington State is a team I love to watch play. I, I'm sure you guys love Mike Leach because he's a nutbag. And he's <laughs> out there and he's talking about stuff. But the way he stresses defenses, and you can score. Like, they're going to score points on USC it's just a matter of do they come early and put the pressure on USC or does it come late? when they And they might get down a couple touchdowns, but they're going to keep firing away and they're going to keep that thing in the fourth quarter. And I just worry about USC. One of these games, it's going to come back to haunt them that they don't go out there and just dominate to start to finish the way that really good teams do, the way that Alabama's done so far this year, the way that Washington has this year, which has been kind of a surprise to me how well they've played. And last week they played against Colorado you just see teams that are really championship-level teams. They go out there and they just take care of their business. And I, I'd like to see that from USC sooner rather than later, or else I'm, I'm not feeling very good about that form. would probably drop them out. Oh, love Luke Falk. It's more than Mike Leach. I mean, oh, I've, yeah, yeah, without I've, doubt. Spending, and him coming back, like a great story of him coming back, being a guy with a chip on his shoulder, um, who can make all the – I mean, he's – 
But wasn't it a couple weeks ago he was benched because he was oh. hurt? And he was like, people were saying, hey, maybe he doesn't start again. I'm like, are you guys nuts? Have you looked at this good, what this guy does? And since it, that moment, so since he got benched, 76% <laughs> completion percentage, 874 yards, 11 touchdowns, no picks. Yeah, take that. <laughs> I like that numbers. And after he put up monster numbers last year, too. Yeah. So I love seeing stories like that when guys respond to adversity because as a quarterback, no matter what level you're playing in, you're going to have times. It really doesn't matter how good you are. I don't think you're going to get threatened to get benched if you're Tom Brady, but you're going to have moments like Tom Brady saw in week one when people are questioning his age and saying maybe he's done. Whatever level you play at, you're going to get tested with adversity. And the better quarterbacks, the ones who respond, are the ones who are able to bounce back and it doesn't phase them at all. You better have a short memory. And Luke Falk has shown that in spades. What do you think, speaking of quarterbacks, as we're looking at uh, the Big 12, where you've got Baker Mayfield, you've got Mason Rudolph, uh, you've got, uh, you know, like how do you see uh, as the conference play begins? You know, you mentioned this might be a year where a two-loss conference champion might be able to make the college football playoff. Um, how do you see that race shaping out? Because as we saw with Oklahoma State going up against TCU, it does appear like it might be one of those years in that conference where it is very, very difficult for any team to get through without catching one loss. Were you guys? Were, what did you guys feel about Oklahoma State? Were you? Did you guys think they would run the table until Oklahoma? Yeah, uh, at least they. They. I thought they were better in those first three weeks, and I thought that they were, and. And yet I didn't – no, I didn't think they were around the table. Right. I got fooled, and I guess it's like the Big 12 disease, where I got fooled by, man, this offense is fun to watch. They can put up 60 against anybody, and then you're like, oh, yeah, Gary Patterson can coach a little bit. <laughs> and you're like, that four-two-five, which presented them with some problems last year. Even Mason Rudolph uh, last year didn't have his best game. But you just saw it's like, oh, yeah – just right off last year is an aberration for Gary Patterson. This TCU squad has some athletes and scheme wise, they just seem more prepared to stop them. So I was wrong on, on Oklahoma state. I really thought they would, um, would be able to beat, especially playing at home. I just thought they would be able to run away with that game. I thought TCU could score points on their defense, but I just felt like it would be a shooting match that Oklahoma state would run away with. The thing that's interesting about the conference is this new format where, you're Oklahoma State and you're Mike Gundy, you're in there, you know, talking to your team on Monday. You're saying, you know what, fellas, we might get another shot at this team. Like we could play this team again in a in a Big 12 championship game. Um, and that's the, the kind of the team for me to watch out for now is TCU with Kenny Hill, the way he's been playing, the way they're getting more guys involved on offense and that defense, which is a lost commodity in the Big 12, because at some point, and this is where Oklahoma has had success, because they play enough defense on this on the on on that side of the ball. Because you're never going to see like a top five scoring defense or a top five defense, you know, throughout 12 games where they're going to dominate. It just won't happen because you're going to get tested too much against those offenses. What you have to have is a team that forces turnovers and gets off the field in critical situations when it's the fourth quarter and you're you know, tied at 42 or whatever number you want to pick, you're tied up and you have to get off the field. And that's what they've got. Now, it's kind of quietly is a team that we, I actually just talked to Cliff Kingsbury yesterday is Texas tech. And they're actually, I think they're second, the country in turnover margin and David Gibbs, their defensive coordinator. I like the philosophy because it's kind of like, Hey, we're going to give up a lot of points, but we're going to create a lot of turnovers too. That would be my mindset. If I was a defensive coordinator in the big 12, I would be extremely aggressive. I would get out there. I'd blitz the quarterback and say, 
If we give up a 70-yard bomb, all right, we'll come get you the next time. We'll get right back at it. We know our offense is going to score a lot of points too. But the Big 12, I, I feel like it's much better than it has been. So the, the conference is in a way better situation than it was last year or the last couple years. West Virginia looks better. Um, so you're just seeing more depth of the conference. So I think the perception of the conference is changing. And that's where I feel like the Big 12 championship game, if you like it or not, I think it is going to matter having that 13th data point for the committee to look into and just kind of having a true clear-cut champion of, hey, this team is your champ. There they are. Take them or leave them. And I think that'll put the committee in a tougher spot to overlook the conference. I There was uh, some photos from the selection committee. And it, I mean, they do it pretty much every year, but they are mm-hmm. sitting in a hotel room together. They have TVs up and they're watching all of the conference championship games together. And these are mm-hmm. human beings that have to make human decisions. And I, I've argued that like it it will impact the way you view a team if you're watching them compete in a game where a trophy's on the line as opposed to if you're playing Kansas. Oh, without a doubt. (laughs) Without a doubt. They want to see an impressive performance. And more importantly, like you can have the conference champ. You can crown them. I mean, you know, you get screwed like they did with TCU and Baylor a couple years being co-champions. But uh, I I do feel like the Big 12, I feel like I like the round robin. I like that they play every team. But the fact you're going to see a rematch every year, I just I don't love that. Like I, I wish there was an opportunity where you'd split them up and have the divisions, um, and have the division champs play. But obviously, you're not going to have that until they realign somewhat. But I think it will help them. I do feel like having that committee be able to take in that championship Sunday and see yet another championship game being played, that'll really help the conference. What's the I biggest? We got to get you off soon. But I, 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 you, you mentioned Texas Tech, and that that team fascinates me. And they're they're hosting Oklahoma State in Lubbock this weekend at yeah. night. I mean, that has the makings of it being a pretty crazy game. They beat Houston. I mean, that's a legitimate win. Uh, Arizona State win doesn't look so bad anymore. Um, what is your take on this three and O team? Can they beat Oklahoma State at home? Are they a team that is a legit top twenty five contender? It looks like Cliff Kingsbury could be kind of circling the wagons to save his job. I feel like this is a game, one of these teams is fool's gold, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. it has to be the case. And I, if I had to put money on it, I would put it on Texas Tech being, all right, the Arizona State win was nice. Houston going on the road, that was an impressive win, although it was only by a field goal. But I just feel like we know what Texas Tech is. It's a lot of offense, and the defense, getting those turnovers has been better. But I just don't feel like they have the weapons to go toe-to-toe with Oklahoma State. But that being said... It is kind of the Wild West out there in Lubbock. It is a funky place to play. Weird things happen out there. And even more importantly, Oklahoma State coming off that loss, really curious to see how that team responds to that. Much like I was talking about quarterbacks responding to adversity, how does this team, who I'm sure in that locker room, they thought, hey, we're going to run the table. We're going to go out there. We're going to play for the playoff. How do they come back after dealing with that loss where they're probably having second you know, thoughts? Man, if I could have made this play. By the way, I don't know what you guys thought. And I know Mike Gundy tried to defend it, but the trick play with three or four minutes left in that game was one of the worst play calls I've seen in recent history. They were starting to move the ball, and you put it in a wide receiver's hands, and McCleskey, you know 100% he's throwing the ball. like He's not going to read it out and make the right decision. So you better make sure 100% you're going to fool them. I don't mind it if you're trailing in the second quarter, even early in the third quarter, but when you're trying to come back from two scores and trying to pull off this comeback – I just really thought it was a bad call. And I, 
I know Mike Gundy says, hey, if we pull it off, nobody criticizes us, but you didn't. <laughs> you didn't pull it off, so you're going to get that uh, criticism. So, and, and it's not like, like TCU even had play, these super-aggressive safeties either. They, they were sitting back all right. game, you know? Right. So that'll be that'll like even even that like I wonder how that team because I know in, in probably in sure in that locker room players are saying man what if we didn't call that there's just a lot of talking that goes on and you have to find out what your team is made of and we'll find out so I if 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 Oklahoma State loses that game I look at them and say man I was completely fooled by that team so I would expect Oklahoma State to get back on track but who knows and then if but it's kind of a catch twenty two for the conference. Because if, if Texas Tech wins that, then you can sell the depth of the conference. Say, well, man, oh, Texas Tech looks like they're back on the scene. Right. So, which I, I kind of hope it does happen. Like, I want to see chaos. I want to see more teams involved. I want to see as much pressure put on the committee as we can. An agent of chaos. He is Danny yes. Cannell. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Danny Cannell. Danny, thank you so much. We are definitely going to be doing this again. A, we will get you back here on the podcast. And make sure uh, you watch him on SEC Live and all across the CBS Sports Digital platforms. Danny, thanks, man. Thanks, man. You guys are the best.